Good morning, everybody. Hopefully you're fired up and ready to go. I don't know what Shane does to these things. There you go. Very excited for Max to be with us. I know God's going to do great things uh, through him. Uh, exciting week. I guess we had two campus devotionals, right? Uh, we had UW-Milwaukee. All right, and then we had Madison. And uh, Bronze preached the word. Uh, look out for Bronze. I don't know what's going to happen there. And then Saturday, we had a singles uh, potluck kind of thing. Is that right? Now, I heard things got a little kind of crazy at the end there. Yeah, uh, there was a cipher that happened last night. Now, if you guys don't know what a cipher is, that's where a bunch of people get together and they start to rap. Okay? Let me help you. Because I, I didn't... You know, I don't know why they don't invite me to those things. I don't know. No, no, no. I did want to thank everybody who helped uh, in the move yesterday for uh, Brian Levante. Uh, you know, I heard it was a little cold. You know, it's amazing how quickly you can get it done when it's that cold. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, you know, isn't it amazing to think in one week they'll be married? Oh, my God. Well, you know, I, uh, first of all, I just want to say how proud I am of Levante. Um, I had the opportunity to sit down and study the Bible with him. And Levante, when we studied, he was very reserved. And he was very sad. Yeah, he, he'd gone through a lot in his childhood. And, and there was a lot of pain. And, uh, and now look at him today. Uh, to the glory of God, the transformation that happened there. Now, I didn't study with Bree, <laughs> but I heard some things that we're not going to mention today, but transformation nonetheless. We're very excited. Uh, and now the two of them have hope for a very successful marriage. Amen. And the reason being is they made the decision to be disciples, and therefore they have hope. And today, I'm going to dedicate the, the lesson today to Levante and Brie. So, and the title of the lesson is called, A Life of Honor. Amen. All right, the definition of honor is high public esteem, high respect as far as worth or merit, honesty, fairness, integrity, in one's beliefs and actions. Question is, does that describe you? Oh boy. Does your life demand respect and honor? Now this isn't the goal for us, right? The goal is to give God the honor. But when you live the life, it's a natural fruit of it. You end up getting that respect. It's the fruit of walking with God. And you can't truly walk with God and not change. You can't say, hey, um, we're tight and, and, and live like the world does. And it's very challenging because the world's going the opposite way. And if you go against the grain, a lot of people don't like it. You get a lot of trouble. Now, 
Different people do certain things that demands respect in their life. All right, I think of uh, Katie and Candace. They sing very awesome, don't they? Very, very awesome. I think about Aaron Legan. He's a master goldsmith. One of the best I've ever seen. I, he trained me. I, I, I was there. Uh, I guess Supreme can run really fast. The man's respect. And then, of course, you got Shane with his bowling. Yeah. We learned that today, so that's awesome. But in the world, you got people's lives that demand respect. You got athletes. You got Aaron Rodgers and Giannis and Michael Jordan. And then you got public figures, Martin Luther King Jr. and John F. Kennedy. And then smart people. Bill Gates. I'm not talking about myself. That's okay. Bill Gates. Elon Musk. But then there are certain aspects of their life that aren't respectable. And so we're talking about the whole package. Not just, you're awesome in this area, and this is not so good. And to have it all together is a rare breed. But yet, that's what we're called to do if we're going to walk with Jesus. And let's look at what they said about Jesus. Look in Mark chapter 7. What did other people say about Jesus? Mark chapter 7. Starting in verse 36. It says, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And see, Jesus wasn't about giving himself the glory. It was about giving God the glory. And, and still people were amazed at his life. And they said, he has done everything well. He wasn't just good at healing people. It was who he is. It was his lifestyle. Look in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Starting in verse 15. This is kind of a famous situation because it's so awesome. Matthew 22 verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. You know, what do you do with Jesus? The guy is so awesome. Let's find a way to trap him. They sent their disciples to, to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us that. What is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Oh, man. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left and went away. You know, Jesus even spoke righteousness. And they couldn't trap him. There's nothing they could get on this guy. And it says they were amazed. It'd been awesome to be there, wouldn't it have been? See him walking around, healing people, saying all this incredibly wise stuff, convicting, showing, seeing his love, and all that he was. Look in John 8. He has another interaction 
with the Pharisees. I don't know why he didn't quit. He he just kept getting in trouble. Matthew, or John chapter 8, verse 45. This is a great whole, you should read this in in context. In verse 45, he says, Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe in me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is you do not belong to God. Oh, baby. I mean, he just went after it. But he lays out a truth. And he says, can you prove me guilty of sin? Come on. Show me my sin. And they couldn't do it. And really, we need to walk a lifestyle that we're above reproach. Are we going to be sinners? Absolutely. But when we get confronted, how do we act? Do we get defensive or are we humble? There's so many things that is said about Jesus. His lifestyle transformed history. And the question is, what kind of impact does our life have? As we go through people's lives, how do we change it? Is it better or worse when they come in contact with him? He truly had a life of honor. And that's what we need to do, live a life of honor. His call to us is to follow him. Now, if you read the four Gospels, you'll see Jesus said this all the time. Now, we can't physically follow him, but we can imitate his love for God, his love for the lost, his willingness to suffer, to sacrifice, everything that he would. But the call was to follow him, to become like him. Now, imagine if you had a church where everybody acted like Jesus. That's what we're trying to do because that's the call. If you read the four Gospels, Jesus said, follow me 114 times. That's the call of Christianity is to do what Jesus did. Look in 1 John chapter 2. Not the Gospel of John, 1 John, way in the back. 1 John chapter 2 verse 3. Now a lot of people don't like this passage. Because they, they want to claim Christianity and do whatever they want. And uh, people get a little heated with this one. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar. Wow. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Does that say it's optional to be a follower of Jesus? No. He says, this is how you know you're in. You, you, you've decided. First, you've got to decide to do the walk. And then you do it. We can't say, hey, I'm working on sin. No, you, you, you attack it. You kill it. You change. A few years ago, they came out with these bracelets, what would Jesus do? And it was kind of a catchy little phrase. Remember those? Some of you. Anyways, um, it was nice, but did they do it? You can ask yourself, what would Jesus do all, all, all you want, but are you doing it? And there's a huge leap. Now, in this passage, he says it's about relationship. We know that we've come to know him if we obey. If we don't, we're a liar. Either we're just flat lying, knowing we're not, or we're deceived. 
And he makes it an issue of relationship. It's an issue of respect to God. It's an issue of love. As a parent, if your, your child obeys you, it says a lot to you. And it says a lot to God. But when you do the walk, you know Jesus better. Because you get the same results. People will love you and people will hate you. Because that's what happened to Jesus and that's what happened to the apostles. And so there's a decision here. If you want to live a life of honor, you want to do it with what the world says is honorable or what God says is honorable. It comes down to that. Now, are you going to be perfect? No. In fact, Jesus talks about this. Look in Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, verse 18. Luke 18, verse 18. It says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the command, commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have. And give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come what? Follow me. When he had said this, heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich man of the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said, we've left all we had to follow you. I tell you the truth. Jesus said, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the king of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Okay, what's the question? Eternal life. That's what he brought to Jesus. What must I do? And he says, good teacher. Jesus kind of lays it out. No one's good except God alone. You can't be good. It's not about being good. It's about relationship. It's about commitment. It's about following Jesus. Jesus, no, and Peter, Peter's like, who can do this? Jesus says it's possible to, to be good. And so we, 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 there's so many people get caught in the trap of trying to be perfect or be good. You can't. The reason we do good things is because we love God. That's what it comes down to. This guy was deceived. He thought he was a good person. I've kept all the commands. She's like, yeah, one little thing. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, follow me. He showed him he wasn't good. And then he calls him to follow. This guy went away sad. What does that mean? He threw away his salvation for money. And he threw away the opportunity to walk with Jesus. And Jesus showed him where his heart was at. Now, I'm, I, my guess is a lot of people looked at his life honorable. He's wealthy. I mean, must be good with money and all that. So that's honorable. Uh, he's spiritual. He keeps all the commandments. This is an honorable guy. And Jesus saying, no, you're honorable in the eyes of the world. And not in the eyes of God. 
And that's the question. What do you want to look good for? Want to look good in the eyes of the world? You can get in trouble that way. A lot of people do a lot of things under the table to look good. And that's a trap. The more you walk like Jesus, all right, the more honorable your life becomes. What is it that Jesus would say to you and me? What is that one thing that we need to give up? Point number one, loving the world. What stops us from being honorable? Loving the world. We have this example right here. This guy seems spiritual. You know, I appreciate so much what Selena said earlier today. She did the right things. She was taught the right things, but in her heart of hearts, she knew she wasn't right with God. On a heart level. And we can go through the motions, but what would God say? This guy, money was his God. He threw his salvation away. I remember a number of years ago when I first started studying the Bible, back in 1982, and uh, I got baptized, and I got this job offer. Now, I was a goldsmith, and I got a job offer uh, where I would be paid $32,000 a year. Back in those days, that was good money. All right? Gas was like, you know, 38 cents a gallon kind of thing. All right? Minimum wage was $1.80. Okay, so I'm like, ho, ho, I made it. But they said, ah, there's one little glitch. You're going to have to travel. You can't stay anywhere. You're going to live out of hotels. And I thought, man, Satan is sneaky. And I turned it down. Because I knew I wouldn't make it. I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. It was painful. But I knew what would happen because I knew my heart. And so I believe that these things are constantly going to come up in our lives where we've got to make decisions. My family thought I was nuts. What are you? Wake up. And family will do that. But you're not here to please family. You're here to please God. In the long run, you'll please your family. In the long run, they will respect your decisions as they see it play out. Apostles are like, whoa, man, I'm not like this guy. I'm a mess. And he's like, no one who has left all this stuff will will fail to receive much more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. That's what Jesus is calling us to do, to follow him. To walk like he did. You know, um, a lot of times we we just want to keep the commands, certain commands, and then let other things go. Now imagine if you did that in your marriage. All right, so let's say when I got married to Barb, I said, hey, give me the checklist of things that you want me to do. Cut the lawn, shovel the snow, right? Unload the dishwasher. We're getting a little, you know. Take out the garbage. Vacuum. So I go through that. Barb, we're good? We're good? Is that it? We're good. 
So now I can go work 70 hours a week as long as I get those things done, right? Is that, is that acceptable? Is that right? Well, no, we need to communicate, Jay. All right, let's set an hour on Sunday night. Let's go through our, our schedule. We're good, right? We, we did that. We're awesome. What does that communicate? Yeah, it's I'm not with you in heart. I'd rather be with you than doing anything else. She'd like to hear that, right? Jay, you need to get a job. We need to pay the bills. But that's what God is looking for. Don't go through the motions. Give me your heart. I gave you mine. I died on the cross for you. You're getting more out of this than I am. Trust me. <laughs> is your job getting in the way of your relationships with each other and with God? I read a survey that said 75% of reason for divorce is lack of commitment. You can have all the stuff but this is why there's so much divorce. It may be honorable in the world's eyes to have the title, to have the nice house, but what a miserable life. The second thing that I'm going to talk about that ruins our honor, point number two, seeking honor for yourself. How does God feel when you try to honor yourself and not him? Look in Daniel. Daniel's Old Testament, right? Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel chapter 4. A little background here. So the Israelites got a lot of sin. They started worshiping other gods, just like we do. God of money, right? They started worshiping other gods, and God allows Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon, to take over not just Israel, but the whole known world. To kind of humble the Jews. To get them to wake up. And sometimes God needs to do things like that to get our attention. In chapter 4, verse 28, we'll see what happens with Nebuchadnezzar here. So he, he does all these incredible things. He's uh, the ruler of the known world. Verse 28, it says, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said... Is not this the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what I has de decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the, the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Wow! Can you imagine that? So much for your majesty. Imagine if God did that to us. Wouldn't that be something? Victor gets up here, says, I'm so awesome. And then all of a sudden, boom! Where's Victor? He's over there in the grass. He's, 
chewing and stuff. And this is the craziest picture, you know? His hairs, you know, the nails are long. But look at what happens after seven years, verse 36. At the, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even, more, even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. Because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride... He is able to humble. Wow. Nebuchadnezzar came to, to his wits. God is able to humble us. You know, we, we got to understand that God, God will do what he's got to do to get us to wake up. And it's challenging because we like to boast about ourselves. We look at our trophies. Hey, look at this. You know, there's a trophy back in the day when I could actually run. Now there's that trophy, and, and there, there's this trophy, and then I got this award, and, and I killed this buck, and the antlers are up there, and we got all of our trophies. Yeah. We like to boast. Why do we do that? Because we want people to think we have value in our lives, and we want respect. And it's a trap, like I said before. There's a song in the 70s by Bruce Springfield, being called Glory Days. And in the song, he talks about how he's leaving a bar and his buddy's walking by and he turns around and goes back in and all they could do is talk about Glory Days. And really what he's saying is we can't live for the past. That can't be the best it gets. We need to live for God and glorify God. And it just gets better and better and better. Somehow we think that's the way we get honored, to boast about ourselves. It doesn't inspire people. It just doesn't. So why do we care so much what people think versus what God thinks? It's a self-focus. Wanting attention is not honorable in God's eyes. Giving others glory is honorable. God had to humble Nebuchadnezzar. Because he had to get him to get the big picture. What does God have to do to us? In Proverbs 27, verse 2, you don't have to turn there. It simply says, let another man praise you. In John, uh, James chapter 4, let's go there. I'm sure none, none of you ever struggle with this. Awfully quiet in here. <laughs> James chapter 4, verse 6. It says, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And see, we're double-minded. We say, yeah, Jesus Lord, but then we do all this other stuff. And it says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble people, are they're fun to be around. They're encouraging. And God says at the end here, humble yourselves before the Lord. He will lift you up. 
That's more encouraging when God honors you. I've seen people get a lot of trouble for trying to honor themselves. They'll lie, and, and their deceit will get them in trouble. It just will. I've seen people go to jail for stealing. Why? Because they, they feel they need to have more power, more stuff, more whatever. What does it get you? Now that you're in jail, is that very honorable? Not at all. And so it backfires. Look in Acts chapter 12. Let's look at another example of this. It's just a, a short passage here. But it's about Herod. All right, now, so Herod was working for the Romans, and he was governor and king over Jerusalem and in, in the whole area here. And he, and he comes, uh, let's start in verse 19, uh, the beginning of the paragraph there. It says, Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there a while. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon and now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Lastus, a tr trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Well, that's, that's intense and weird. I think God was trying to make a point here. Now, you got to realize he's over Israel, and he's elevating himself. And God's saying, not here. Not going to happen here. And so we see how serious God is about honoring yourself versus God. Jesus does the same thing in Philippians chapter 2 with a different outcome. Philippians chapter 2. Now let's look at the direction here. Starting in verse 3. Now imagine if Herod had a different spirit and everybody's saying, this is the voice of a god. And he says, well, you know, hey, I appreciate that, but it's not about me. It's really God that gets the glory for all this. People would have respected him more for that, that spirit. And sometimes we can say that in a false humility. It's all about God. It's not about me. Are you just saying that, or do you really believe it? Chapter 2, verse 3. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, 
and in under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of who? God the Father. So he starts off by saying, hey, uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's how God views that. That's the root. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Now, there's a difference. Imagine I, I go up to Marcus, and um, he's, he's really having, trying to have a conversation with me, and I'm doing this kind of thing. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Amen, bro. Amen. Or there's a TV. Uh, Packer game's on. Uh, how's he feel? Man, I really feel bonded to you, Jay. Is that what he feels? No, not at all. But imagine if I'm glued on him. That his word, whatever he says, is important to me. That's, that's humility. That's what he's talking about here. Do we treat each other that way? Do we act like we're above? Somebody calls you and, you know, return the call. They feel loved by you. Do they feel respected by you? And see, that's, that's what he's talking about here. We need to honor one another above ourselves. That's an honorable way to live. He uses the example of Jesus. Jesus, in the very nature, was God. But he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Why? Because he put himself in a physical form. He, he gave himself boundaries. And not only did he do that, he was willing to humble himself to be beaten beyond human recognition and crucified. <laughs> now imagine that. Your God in the flesh, and you're allowing your creation to spit in your face. The angels bow down to Jesus, and your people are slapping you, whipping you, mocking you, and then killing you. That takes a lot of humility. That takes a lot of mental energy. And he's just sharing, this, this is what our attitude should be like. And what does God do? He honors them, lifts them up for the glory of God. Now, why does God want glory? God knows that we, in our nature, we worship things. We worship athletes. We worship money. We worship all these things, people. And God says, worship me. Why? Because he knows he's the source. You, if you glorify him, you look to him, he's the answer for your freedom. He's the answer for your joy and, and all the challenges we have. God says, hey, look to me and I'll free you up. I want to free you up. But if you're going to be prideful and do it your own way, you will suffer for it. And it's not an honorable lifestyle. It's, this is challenging. It's going against the grain. But it's what we are called to do. I am way ahead of myself here. <laughs> Point number three. All right, now there's a lot of uh, honor busters, but I'm just going to talk about one more. Hypocrisy. All right, that's, that's kind of acting a certain way and doing uh, something else. You know, a false show of something that one does not really have. Uh, my father used to always say, don't do as I do, do as I say what does that tell me kids hate hypocrisy no i'm gonna do what you do 
And then what ends up happening, you imitate that same heart. And rather than just saying, you know what, I need to change to show you how it's done, people just continue to go on and in their hypocrisy. They don't realize uh, it's not an honorable thing to do. Look in Romans chapter 2. Paul talks about this. Now, in Romans, it's written to uh, a, a, a Jewish background, Jewish people who have a hard time accepting the Gentiles. Because the Jews for centuries were told, you're God's chosen people. And now you've got to accept the Gentiles. And they were unclean before, and they always looked down on them. And now they become, become Christians, and now I've got to hug them? Are you kidding me? And so, in chapter 2, verse 17... Paul writes, now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants because you have in the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among Gentiles because of you. Wow, that is so intense. Well, what's going on here? He's saying you are an obstacle by your heart and your lifestyle. You're a hypocrite. People are thinking, why would I join your group? Look at you. When you share your faith, is it something that people look at your life and they respect and say, you know what, I need to go? Or do they say, is the whole church like you? Then no thanks. You are to be an ambassador for God. There cannot be hypocrisy in our lives. Hypocrisy. Let's look at an example of this, blatant example, Galatians chapter 2. You guys getting this? Galatians chapter 2. Verse 11. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, challenges the Apostle Peter in front of everybody. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. 
how is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish custom? Well, can you imagine how intense that was? You got the apostle Peter. Paul comes up, he sees what's going on, and it says he, set, he, he challenged him in front of everybody. Isn't that a lot of fun, calling out somebody in front of everybody? Isn't it fun to be called out in front of everybody? No. Why would Paul do that? Because he saw that everybody was starting to imitate. And he, and he knew. He had to start with the leadership. You can't lead if you're not leading. And I'm just going to throw this out there. If you guys see anything in my life that needs to change, hey, I want to be righteous. I want to do what's right. I want you to be able to feel free to talk to me. Because I don't want to be hurting other people as a result. Victor's back there going, okay, I'm going to get that. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We need to be able to be humble enough to apologize when we're wrong. Now imagine Peter had a decision here. Either he could get more prideful and say, get defensive, and who are you to tell me, blah, blah, blah. But what would that have taught everybody? Or he could have said, you know what, you're right. I need to change this. Thank you so much. That's honorable. Getting prideful and defensive is not honorable. It destroys your credibility. And so there's a lot of things that Satan wants to use to hinder us from doing great. And that's why Jesus says, you got to follow me. Don't follow the world. Don't imitate the things of the world. Imitate my heart. Do what I do. How we walk will influence people, better or for worse. It's just going, it's just going to be... It's just going to happen. We not, need to rise above and walk as Jesus did. And we can't be a hypocrite. I remember a few years ago when Barb and I first got married, okay, and uh, we were having problems in our marriage. We were going through it. It was a challenge. And uh, we decided we were not in the discipling ministry, decided to move to a discipling ministry. And I just said, I have to be humble here. I got to admit that I can't help my wife. Okay, well, what's wrong with that picture? I'm assuming she's the problem. Okay? And that's the hypocrisy there. And what I learned is, listen, if I'm what I need to be, my wife is going to be what she needs to be. She's just following my lead. And so, you want to change your wife, you change. All the marriages are going, ooh. All the husbands, I should say. It's a trap. Now, for some reason, I think guys will get a little more prideful than women. I, I don't know. That's just my take. That's my opinion. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Am I wrong? Oh, let's just stop. Let's stop there. We need to care more what God thinks than what other people think. And therefore, we'll do what is right, even when it hurts. Is it going to cause conflict? Absolutely. When you stand up to do what's right, People are going to get ticked off. It's what God Jesus killed. It's what got all the apostles killed except for John. You know, for those of you who are visiting, we have a, a study called discipleship. Okay? And the call, the main call is to call people to follow Jesus, to do the things that he did. 
Now, like I said earlier, imagine if you had a whole church of everybody doing that, how powerful that would be. Well, that's got to be the constant call that we do. It is Jesus' expectation. It's everywhere in the Bible. Now, I'd like to hold up the church. This is an awesome church. And uh, I, I constantly get people who will come, visit, go, and, and they'll say, man, I can't argue. This, these guys are amazing. It's very honorable when, when you, you see the group acting as they are. You know, it's black, white, Hispanic, Asian. It's a, a spirit of unity, a spirit of love. It's honorable. And then what you do is you get people who come back. You know, I think about Phil coming back. I think about London coming back. Why? Come on, Phil. Come on, Phil. Studying the Bible, they're like, too much, don't want to do it. Leave, bolt, I'm done, I'm out of here. Then a year later, they come back. And they're like, I bounced around, this is it. Same with Max. It says something when people know. Now, the craziest thing is I've, over the years, I've seen people who have left the church because they didn't want to deal with stuff and all that, and they have the answers, and they'll try to help people, and then they'll say, you know what you need to do? You just need to go to that church. And so you get people sending visitors, and it's like, why don't you just come? And that's very honorable. And I, and, I, and I hold you up, but to God be the glory. If it wasn't for Jesus and his example, this wouldn't be happening. It just wouldn't. I want to close in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And I appreciate what Devante said about the group. He said it's, it's family. Man, I felt family here. That's, that's what it needs to be. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is how God feels about the church. He says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify who? God on the day he visits us. He starts off, he says, this is how I view you. You're a chosen people. A royal priesthood. You're my people. You're all ministers. All of you. Holy nation. He says, You're special. You're mine. And then he says, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world. In other words, you're supposed to look different. You're an alien. You're a stranger. And some of us are stranger than others, but it's a whole nother talk. You're supposed to stand out. He says, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. And don't they? The temptation is huge. But to follow Jesus means you say no. And you say to God, you know, I, I do appreciate the cross. Thank you. I'm not going to do this because I know it hurts you. 
live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. That's why we do it, to give God the honor, not to give ourselves the honor. To live an honorable life is to be able to show people who God is. You know, Milwaukee has a lot of needs. Wisconsin has a lot of needs. There's a lot of pain and suffering going on. And they need a light. They need guidance and direction. They need people to show them where to go. That's got to be us. We need to be the example. We need to get their attention to glorify God and to God be the glory. Amen. Amen.